0: Hi, I'm Michaela Loach and I'm Rebecca, and this is the Yikes podcast. Hello, I am Michaela Loach and I'm usually one of two um, hosts of this wonderful Yikes podcast, which if you're new here, is a podcast all about climate justice, activism, refugee rights, allyship, and making all of these movements as accessible as possible um, and as inclusive as possible. So usually I host this with the wonderful Joe Becker, who is Trees and Peace on Instagram. However, this episode, we're doing something a bit different. A lot of you will be aware that the world is a very different place than it was a few weeks ago for so many different reasons. Um, We're currently living through what has been called by many the biggest civil rights movement ever in history. 50 states, 18 countries have risen up to talk about racism um, and the kind of conversation around anti-racism that we've been having for a very long time is finally being listened to. So for this episode it's going to be myself and two other um, black women in the environmental space. Um, I'm going to be talking to Leah Thomas from Green Girl Leah and Marie Beecham from Waste Free Marie. Um, all three of us have very different experiences but we can also relate to a lot of things and honestly um, this conversation was so wonderful and I enjoyed it so much so I'm so excited for all of you to listen to it. On this podcast, we like to define things to make sure that the conversation is inclusive. I would encourage people as you're listening, if you don't know what something means, and definitely have a Google or have a search on Marie or Leah's pages on Instagram because they have a lot of definitions there. Um, but we talk about intersectionality um, and intersectionality is basically a theory that recognizes that um, people are often disadvantaged by multiple sources of oppression. So um, they're not just advantaged by race or just by gender, but all of these different things can combine. Um, to cause oppression, intersectionality and intersectional activism and pays attention to these oppressions um, in their activism. So I'm very excited for you all to listen to this conversation. Um, it's honestly so great and so wholesome and lovely. And thank you, Joe, for um, like, opening up this space for us to have this as a space for black women to talk about things. I'd like to content warn that we talk about racism in this episode. I'd also like to preface that um, although three of us are black women in the environmental space, Um, We do not represent the views of all black women, Um, we are not representative of all black people um, and please do not put our experiences on other people, we can only speak from our own experience. Um, But I do hope you enjoy the episode. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. Hi, thanks for having us. Yes, I'm
1: very excited to be here. Um, how are you both doing? It's going, some good, and a lot of bad in the world right now, but I'm doing okay, lots of
2: coffee. Yeah, I am. Um, was recently at a protest and a friend saw me and asked me, how's it going? And then we sort of looked around and we were like, well, amidst a pandemic and all the things we're protesting, Um, doing as well as we
0: can be so (laughs) Mm. Mm. yeah it's been such a yeah such a strange time I think for all three of us in like similar and different ways in the fact that like all three of us have talked about a lot of this stuff like surrounding like racism within the climate movement or just racism generally and now people are suddenly following and listening and I'm sure that must I, I know that for me it feels kind of strange and like really conflicting especially given everything that's going on but there's almost like this kind of we're like having success in the middle of it. Um, yeah how yeah, I was wondering if like either of you want to talk a bit about that and how it's making you feel.
1: It definitely feels a little strange because I'm really excited that people are just start, are starting to listen. But the reason they're listening to me is because I made a post because I just was so frustrated with the environmental community for not caring or not showing that they cared about Black lives. So mm. it's weird to have some sort of viral pickup because of Black death. So I'm excited mm. because there's this new platform. But at the end of the day, it does, I just feel so conflicted about that and also not being listened to for so so long because i know we've all been saying similar things for years and now people are listening and it it just it does make me feel really conflicted
2: Mm. right and similar to what leah's saying it leaves a pit in my stomach to know that i'm almost profiting off tragedy like i've been Mm. saying these things for for my whole life i've been saying these things since i was a kid talking about advocacy talking about racial justice And nobody's ever wanted to listen. And now that I have this platform, it's a great gift. People are finally listening. Um, But it's only because they've been guilted into it, maybe. And also, Mm -hmm. it's also conflicting because it feels almost like this echo chamber where the people who support me the most um, are the ones who already agree with me. You know, it's either this back and forth of agreement, agreement. Or it's receiving a lot of hatred and bigotry, which isn't productive. Um, So it's it's conflicting to get a positive response from the people who don't really need to hear it and a negative response from the people who probably should be listening.
0: Mm. Like one thing I found really um, conflicting and weird is like how before when I talk about anti-racism, my engagement would go down and people wouldn't interact (laughs) with stuff. Yes, and then now it's going up. And that's what's so strange. And it's also like extra weird to have a lot of people who would only ever interact with my content that was about sustainable fashion. Um, and now they're the ones being like, oh, I've cared about the fact that you talk about anti-racism for so long. And I'm like, no, you haven't. You haven't shown up until now. <laughs> like, so, like, did what's you? It's strange. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so weird. It is, it is really weird, and I totally
1: identify with that because sometimes I would dabble in sustainable fashion, but that was because I didn't want to overwhelm myself with constantly talking about things that seriously depressed yeah. me in the environmental movement. So when I talked about soap and sustainable soap, it was honestly mm. just for my own mental well-being and having mm. different content, so I didn't have to talk about all the trauma that Black and brown communities are facing. So it's just really interesting because I've had similar things where when I would start posting about environmental justice, my engagement would go down. Maybe the rider does would be there with a little fist emoji. And I was like, <laughs> I see you. But now I don't know. There's just people popping out of the woodworks and I'm super excited, but I'm like, Hey, I've been saying mm. this. Hello.
2: I, I really relate to that because my engagement for racial advocacy, anything to do with that has always been so low. So I just tried to give the people what they want, you know, talk about these other issues that are important when it comes to sustainability, but it had to, it seems like um, the things that get the best positive response are, are really surface level. Um, Mm. Like bring your reusables. And now all of a sudden everybody's so excited to hear about intersectional environmentalism, except my fear, my fear in the pit of my stomach, what I really suspect is about to happen is the, the interest is about to just plummet. Um, once yeah. this current moment that we're in passes and we move on to the next moment and we figure out what the whole new normal situation is, I, mm-hmm. I suspect that a lot of people are going to lose interest, lose momentum, lose their energy, the hype, and um, the conversation is going to fade away again. So it's sort of like trying to ride this out um, mm-hmm. and keep keep people listening while while we have them as as sad as that is
0: yeah yeah and I think that's something that I found really um really quite difficult because at least like for me in my personal life recently I've had a lot of like issues happen that means that I was actually trying to take a break from Instagram when all of this kicked off and then to like kind of on top of all of that stuff going on then there's the trauma of having to like face like seeing black bodies being killed and people sharing videos of that Mm -hmm. and then it's like in our deepest trauma and our deepest suffering we're expected to speak out and it's almost like I kind of feel like it's kind of this other way that white supremacy is almost getting you being like not only you're gonna have to experience the trauma of like seeing people who look like you be like brutalized and like and harmed on and be shared all over the world but in that moment you're gonna have to like ride this wave because now people are listening to you and it's like Mm -hmm. how I don't know I find it really difficult to to balance like people listening and I should use that opportunity with like, this is actually quite difficult for me right now. And like, how can I honor myself in that as well? Wow. I just really,
1: I'm so happy I'm talking to you both because I just (laughs) relate with all of these things. I mean, it's hard. I went from, I think it was like 13,000 followers eight days ago to almost 90,000 followers. And my engagement is scary. And I feel like a lot of people are following me because they're looking for answers. And I want to try my very best to provide some answers and guidance because I feel like it's such a crucial moment in history right now. But I'm also tired and I also want to sleep and I also want to eat. And there were days in the beginning where honestly, I wasn't eating. And thank God for my partner who was like, here's food here's nourishment, you need this. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't taking care of myself at all. And I just realized that this isn't sustainable. I need to figure out something else to do. So thankfully, I've brought in some friends who can kind of help me get through inbound requests and stuff like that, because I really was just exhausting myself for a little bit.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I found that I was quite the same. Like I realized that there are a few days where I only ate like one meal a day, because also I was like, so preoccupied with with replying to messages and with like thinking about things and I don't know just wanting to but then at the same time dealing with the mental battle of like I'm trying to finish my degree at the same time mm-hmm. that I just wasn't looking after myself at all and I think one thing that my friend Joe, who usually hosts the podcast with me was saying is she was like rest in itself is resistance especially in these times and like looking after yourself is a way that you can resist white supremacy and letting it's yourself beautiful. like be damaged by this. Yeah. Is, is like a way that it's winning. So she was just like, have a bath and think of that as a way as you're resisting white supremacy. She was like, look after yourself and think of that as a way of resistance. And I think the that ministry, used some really good stuff around that too.
2: I really relate to that. Um, I'm experiencing a lot of racial battle fatigue lately, having such a platform right when tragedy strikes and because tragedy strikes feels exhausting and depleting. And I just have all of these, these trust issues about it. Like I don't trust Mm -hmm. that they're listening for the right reasons necessarily. I don't trust Mm -hmm. that they'll continue to pay attention to me. I don't trust that if we were having the same conversation face to face with my audience in an actual real life situation, I don't trust that half of them would take to my words very well. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't trust that all of them would appreciate me calling them out on their racism. And I don't trust that they're putting in the work behind the scenes as much as they're engaging with these concepts on social media. So there's all these Mm -hmm. factors that are out of my hands. And yet I just pour and pour and pour myself into it. And I know um, that i need to spend more time resting so that's that's a great point from joe about rest is resistance
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's just like i think it's difficult because' it's like how much of the attention that we're getting now is because people really care and how much of it is because people want to like perform and like to mm-hmm. look like they care um i think I, i'd love to hear what both of you think about that especially because both of you have had um like very viral posts i think the difference is like i haven't had any like very viral posts it's more just been that my account's been shared and why I've like gained followers, but I know that both of you have had posts that have been shared ri- a ridiculous amount of times, um, and by really big names, <laughs> really big people. So I just wondered, like, how that played. you both feel?
1: Um, I don't know because even though the environmentalist for Black Lives Matter graphic is pretty, and I use my little brand colors, I don't want people to forget that this is a post that is a call to action to stop killing Black people, and people are reposting it as though it's just this cute little sticker. And I just really want people to understand Mm -hmm. and take in the words that are in that post because I was very intentional about having Black Lives Matter saying the word black in the first frame and also Mm -hmm. providing a definition and providing action steps for people to take. And I put all those things together because it's like, if you support Black Lives Matter and you are an environmentalist, Maybe you should be an intersectional environmentalist, and this is what it means to me, and here are some action steps that you can take. And I was very intentional about Mm -hmm. putting those things together, and my fear is just I've had brands share it, even brands that are very near and dear to my heart, while Mm -hmm. I knew that there were not serious internal changes happening that needed to happen to support the black lives within that organization and that to me just filled me with so many mixed feelings like i know the message is beyond me and maybe i shouldn't be able to dictate who's able to use this graphic because i want this message to spread but it frustrates mm-hmm. me if people are using that piece of content for PR to avoid a PR crisis, mm-hmm. rather than actually caring about improving their own organization. Because that's where they could start with protecting the black lives of their black employees. And if I know that that's mm-hmm. not happening, and they share the post, it just it fills me with so many mixed emotions. Because, like I said, I don't want to police. Ooh, I hate that word. Mm-hmm. Who can use the post and who can't? But I kind of mm-hmm. just want to hold people accountable, which is something not to go on too much of a tangent, but mm. a couple of friends and I, and I would love you all's help if you'd like, we're working on an intersectional environmentalist mm. platform and we're going to, there's a lot of companies and organizations that want to take the intersectional environmentalist pledge and be a partner of our little organization that we're mm. creating. We're collecting all of their info, but the haha is that they're going to have to show us metrics for what they're doing to promote mm. intersectional environmentalism in the world and with their organization and they mm. have to agree to talk to our council that we're creating at least once a year to show us those metrics and if they cannot they will mm. no longer be a part of that list so that for me is a way to get accountability with these companies that are reposting the graphic yeah that's powerful
0: mm. hi everyone um thank you so much for listening um this podcast is made possible thanks to all of our patrons so we really want to say thank you to them and. Patreon is really important to us as we really want this space to be owned by our listeners. Um, A lot of things we talk about and the nature of the conversations that we have don't really match well with a lot of advertising platforms um, or kind of companies, which means that um, Patreon is kind of how we can keep this podcast going and it's really, really important to us. So we would really 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 love if you'd consider becoming a patreon there are extra bonus episodes on patreon there's like you can get help downloads of the music you can hear finn our producer actually speak on the patreon which is very exciting we'll be doing like like q and a's and there'll be lots of different content on there so we'd really really love um if you came along and joined us over on patreon that's um where we have lots of extra fun stuff and also it just helps this happen and if you've learned anything from this podcast or from me or joe and you'd like to like feedback into our work um patreon's the best way to do that um and we'd be really really grateful if you could sign up for that so um our patreon is the yikes podcast and you can find that in the show notes and thank you so much for supporting us and i hope you enjoy the episode and we'll see you over on patreon
2: yeah um similarly to leah i had a post go viral um my how to ally post and i felt very conflicted because um i didn't that post isn't my best work by any means i again i work at a youth shelter and while the youth were playing video games i just decided to type some stuff up did it in like 30 minutes posted it and got back on my phone like an hour later and saw that it had blown up Uh, my followers Mm -hmm. had doubled in that hour in the last week, I went from like 5,000 followers to over 150,000 followers. Um, So it's been overwhelming. And then (laughs) it's conflicting to see a post blow up and also then have it be picked apart and torn apart. Um, Mm. Especially some points that people have raised are good points. It, It wasn't perfect. And I'm not a professional in like any industry. I am a college student who is doing this mm. out of her own goodwill and desire for betterment of the world. But um, then there's also so much bigotry rolling in and now it mm. feels like the public eye is on me and mm. it's all happened so quickly. And then I followed it up with another post that got twice as much engagement and that led to even more good and more bad. And It seems Mm. like there's a direct correlation with how strongly people like my message and also how strongly people dislike my message. So it seems like the more powerful the message, the more love and hate I get. Um, So learning to wrestle with that and learning um, what to do with that has been really interesting. And also like Leah's saying, seeing people use my guides, um, for their own personal brand or their personal image is so odd, especially when so many people put it behind like their own selfie, their own cover photo, and then they follow no. it up with me. I mean, there have been so many photos and so many no. posts where I go through my tagged in, and it's all these people's selfies, mirror pictures, no. like basically modeling. And then they follow it up with my information and they're like,
0: Oh my God. First
2: photo, so you guys actually engage. Swipe and learn from waste-free Marie. And
0: I'm just, just so like appalled at the, the, how that feels. It's so bizarre. I mean, yeah. One thing that I have been seeing, and um, like around people putting a photo of themselves first, is like there was a situation with a certain um, influencer where they put a picture of themselves, and they justified it by saying like that a picture of themselves gets more engagement. And I get that like that's like I play mm-hmm. the engagement game on Instagram mm-hmm. as well like I think a lot of us yeah. do like we know that a nice photo of us is going to get more engagement so sometimes I'll I'll like put like a caption that I really want people to read and I'll just post a nice photo of myself because I know it means people are going to read the caption more.
2: Um mm-hmm.
0: I do get that but I think when it comes to doing anti-racism work especially if you're using someone else's content um like don't center yourself in that like do yeah. like, I think that especially like white people need to stop centering themselves in the conversation Mm -hmm. about race, unless the centering of themselves is to call themselves out. Like that's Mm -hmm. the only centering of yourself you should do is to be like, I see where I've gone wrong. It shouldn't be like, like I don't want to see any more like white exceptionalism of people being like, I'm the good, the good ally, the good white person. Like that's not what we need. What we need is all of us to like point the finger back and be like, where do I exhibit these, these behaviors rather than I am this good ally in quotation marks.
1: I, that makes me cringe, I'll be completely honest, because there's so many well-intentioned people that instead of just checking on me as a black person, the first thing out of their mouth is like, "Oh my god, it's been so hard for me, like the world, just the world right now. It's mm-hmm. been so I've been crying." And without even thinking like, "Oh maybe This is harder, maybe just a little bit for me because I'm Black. And that's been happening a lot lately, just people centering their feelings above, you know, Black feelings. And that's why in the post that I created in the pledge, I very intentionally put in there, please don't burden us. Do the work Mm -hmm. yourself. And I, I know that people want to prove that they're not racist right now, but maybe do that with your white friends. You know, Mm. because I usually have a pretty good idea. And when people, my really great white ally friends, they don't have to prove to me that they're not racist because I just know they're not racist. Mm. Like, I had a friend of mine come to my house and just drop off a bunch of snacks. And I walked outside my door and I just saw all these little snacks. And I started crying Mm. because there was chocolate and blueberries and all these little snacks because I couldn't eat. And I just could snack. Mm. That's something that I can do when I'm super anxious and I'm not hungry. And I knew exactly who it was. And I texted her. And it just made me smile because I thought, that's an ally. This is a friend that's replenishing me without wanting any attention. She didn't say that she dropped stuff off at my house. But I knew that it Mm. was her. And that's the type of allyship that just feels really supportive. It's not something where she's taking a picture on Instagram and saying, I dropped this food off at Leah's house black lives matter Mm. it was something that was a genuine (laughs) (laughs) friendship thing that really just filled my soul
0: yeah like I think for me um the like my friends who I can see are doing allying the best are the ones who would never ever try and justify themselves like they're the ones who would never Mm -hmm. come to me and be like I'm not racist they're the ones who say I acknowledge that I live in a system which is white supremacist and which is racist and therefore I I acknowledge that I will externalize a lot of that system and that I will like trip up and I will make mistakes, but I'm trying to be better. Like the kind of people, like they're, those are the people I see that are doing allying well, the ones who are like, who humble themselves and are being like, okay, mm-hmm. I see that I'm going to slip up and I'm going to make mistakes. And all I can do is try and be better and try and support you. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that people, I would say, anyone listening to, listening to this, like, please don't message your black friends and tell them that that, that you're not racist because I, I think that. that yeah that shows like your fragility more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Like I've experienced I've actually had to block some of my like friend like long term friends because they wouldn't stop messaging me, like telling me that they're not racist. And I hadn't said anything to them. Like mm-hmm. I literally had <laughs> said nothing to them. And it's just because I think that they thought that everything I wrote on Instagram was about them and I was just like hun like stop being so oh. it's everything isn't about you. And that's very strange from mm-hmm. firstly you think it's about you. And secondly like if you've actually been like engaging my content, you'll see that I'm like, I'm so tired. Like I'm really tired and I don't need to like mm-hmm. have to be the one to remove guilt from someone else right now. That's not our, yeah. that's not our role as your friend, but like, your black friends aren't there mm-hmm. to make you feel less guilty about your complicity exactly. within white supremacy. That's not why we exist.
1: I can't hold that. I can't hold that on top of everything that that's happening in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I wish people understood that. And I think I don't want to blame myself. But sometimes I feel like I was just too quiet, you know, especially Mm -hmm. if it was someone that was in maybe an authority Mm -hmm. figure. Um, Like, I don't want to say anyone particular, but hypothetically, like if you were working under someone. Um, Mm -hmm. Because uh, I felt like I had to hold it for them. Or if I'm the only black person in an organization, I didn't want to cause too much trouble. So when people wanted Mm -hmm. to talk to me to try to get me to, to, to rid them of their white guilt. I felt like I had to kind of coddle them and hold that for them. But now that I'm furloughed, I'm doing my own thing right now, working on consulting. My energy is already so, so low. I just know now more than ever, like I cannot hold this for you. Like you need to do the work Mm. on your own because I have so many other things to hold right now with the weight of the world.
2: Mm. Absolutely. Um, And As a black person, I have a pretty unique situation when it comes to the people I'm surrounded with. I live and have always lived in a city that's 99% white. So my family is literally the black family. And it's not just some small town. It's a large city of about 60,000 people. Um, So imagine that. (laughs) Imagine being the only black person who anyone has ever known, the only black person in any class you've ever been in, the only black person in every sports team, every extracurricular, every restaurant, everywhere you go, the only black person. I don't have and have never had very many friends who are good allies because I've always been tokenized. And Michaela and I have related about different people, whether we know them personally or not, tokenizing us and lifting us up as the exceptional black woman yeah. as the yeah. the one who I'm friends with, the one who's not like the rest. Mm-hmm. Um
0: mm-hmm.
2: and when they tokenize me like that, they use me as their prop and as their shield of mm-hmm. oh I couldn't be racist. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm friends with Marie. Um mm-hmm. so I'm not used to what it's like to actually have friends who know how to ally and who mm-hmm advocate for me and who start the right conversations because I live in a region and a city that is extremely overtly racist. So it's this this weird struggle because even now as my platform is growing, everyone who I've ever known is reaching out to me to congratulate me. And yeah. I just want to shake them by the shoulders and say, you're the reason why I'm so good at telling white people how to stop being racist because you gave me so much practice. You gave me so much practice. I should be thinking you shouldn't I? So that has been my experience. Wow. That's so true.
0: Yeah. Like I, so I also grew up in a very like white area. Um, so I can relate to that a lot. and um, But also I can, I don't know if you can relate to this Marie, but I found a lot of the time growing up, like I didn't feel safe enough to talk about racism in the same way that I can mm-hmm. now. Like in situations I'd had experiences where if I talked about racism, I like lost my friends. <laughs> um, so yeah. like, I wouldn't talk about it. And I'd let so many things slide because I didn't want to lose the people around me. Like I didn't want to be the quote unquote angry black woman. Like I was so aware of of how that stereotype would follow me and so I think that's what's been so weird about recently is that like I can finally like I have been speaking my mind a bit like on social media for a while no one's been listening but now I can finally like completely speak my mind and people actually want to listen and like all yeah. these people who've been incredibly problematic to me in the past are now messaging <laughs> me telling me they respect my work and whatever um it's just a very strange and conflicting feeling to be yeah.
1: in. absolutely I totally relate to what you all were saying about kind of being tokenized. It's so mm-hmm. frustrating because I've also grown up in predominantly white spaces and I went to a predominantly white and conservative private school and I went to school in Orange County, California. There were no black people, maybe a couple of us, um, but lately it's bothering me even more because there are a lot of brands that are reaching out to me or want to work yeah. with me. Yeah. And I'm curious. I'm like, are you actually going to do the work? Some companies, a hundred percent. Like, um, there's a kombucha company that I'm working with the unlikeliest of allies in this situation and they have just gone hard like they (laughs) had a clothing collection that they were going to release and now they're like no all of these funds need to go to black organizations we don't even want this merch anymore and it's really Mm -hmm. cool that they're doing stuff like that but others i feel like they just want to put my face on something to say hey look we know a black person Mm. and that for me really bothers me or when they accept me because there's some external validation going on on Instagram with my growth. And then they say, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I guess Leah's the the exceptional one. And that makes me Mm -hmm. so upset because in the organizations that I've worked in, there's been so many and there currently are so many other POC employees that are exceptional and in many ways, Mm -hmm. to be honest, more Mm -hmm. exceptional than me in a lot of different areas and far, far ahead of me when it comes to, you know, justice work. And it frustrates me that just mm. because other people are valuing my work on Instagram, that those organizations are saying, I guess we'll listen to Leah. But I keep wanting to say it's not about this post that I made. It is about the message. It's not about me. It's about just protecting and advocating for Black lives in general. And they can't mm-hmm. just get away with just supporting me because there happens to be a tension on me right now because I know that that's going to fade, like they need to do some really serious changes. And it really, really bothers me when I'm being tokenized.
0: One thing that I um, have been thinking about a lot is how much, how much even the fact that our voices are only valid now that we have bigger followings is white supremacy Mm -hmm. in itself. A lot of the followers that I've gained are white people. So it's basically Mm -hmm. as if these businesses, these companies and the world at large are being like, we will value your voice when white people value your voice, when enough white people value your voice then we'll listen to you. But when we've been Mm -hmm. saying this before, they're not Mm -hmm. going to listen and so it's like, do they not see that that is just a manifestation of white supremacy as well? Wow.
2: Yeah, like my my words and my thoughts and my perspective is only valid once other white people put their stamp of approval on it that it's valid. Like, Mm -hmm. it's I agree and I want to hear your thoughts on, I've been in communication with different companies. And I think these companies have so much work to do, you know, whether it's their corporate teams are white and yet their entry level positions have a diverse, are diverse. um, Or whether it's, they've never talked about race before and they want to start now. And I'm in communication with them, wanting to hold them accountable, wanting to not be their prop or their token. And yet also, as I'm discussing doing internal workshops with their teams and also mm-hmm. um, speaking to their communities, I think these problematic these problematic companies and organizations do need me on there to speak to them. You know, that's who really yeah, needs really. to hear what I have to say. Yeah. Should I be associating myself with these, these problematic, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if that makes no, sense. I make,
1: I make that money. Make yeah.
0: that money. I'm just <laughs> no, but one, one thing I'm thinking about a lot is it's really hard. um Yeah, I know what you mean, Marie. Because like companies have reached out to me wanting me to like come on as a consultant or something in some kind of way to like improve their business. But then I'm like, do I want my name to be associated with this company when they've been problematic in the past? And it's like weighing that up. I would say that like, yeah, what Leah was saying, like do like get paid to call people out. Like that is an important <laughs> thing, and that's so. Really, I think that. Like there is a lot of value in having people kind of like us who won't compromise coming and saying those things. Cause mm-hmm. I think that's important.
1: Yeah. And I'm moving into consulting work as something that I'd like to do and explore because similarly I've had a lot of companies reach out to me And I only really want to work with mission-based companies that are kind of eco-friendly companies. I've done partnerships with companies that didn't fit that criteria in the past. But moving forward, I think there's so many mission-based eco-friendly companies that need to Mm. do a lot of work. And I feel like I've worked within those sorts of organizations. And the trainings, I have to write it down and develop it a little bit more. But it seems like they just want me to tell them everything that I've been trying to tell my own (laughs) organizations that I've been working for. And they're really simple. I mean, I think it's simple, but I guess it's not. But yeah, like, what does your board look like? What's your mission statement? How can we rework your mission statement to include these tenets of intersectional environmentalism? How can we make sure that flows through your entire organization? Because I had a company ask if I wanted to be a diversity person um, within their organization, and they couldn't explain to me what the functions of that role were. And that Mm. concerned me because it seemed like a Band-Aid position just to say, hey, we're in a crisis. You're getting a lot of likes. Can you do this work without providing any guidance? And that's not something that I want to do. And when I do take on these consulting roles, I'm going to talk to them about the work that needs to be done. They can't just hire one person. It needs to flow throughout their organization. And like you all were saying earlier, in leadership positions, not just entry-level mm. positions, because I've seen that happen all the time. The interns might be people of color, but or the entry-level positions might be people of color, but then there's no room for growth. And then the decision makers mm. are all white. And then they might consult the people of color and ask them for recommendations, but then they extract that information for them, from them, without giving them a seat at the table. And then they paraphrase mm-hmm. the information that they've stolen essentially from people of color. And then they jumble it all up in a way that feels good to them. And then they release something and they might get called out for it. But I'm kind of tired of that happening, and I don't want to work with any companies until they can assure me that they are going to implement it into all levels of their organization. And they're not just looking for a quick band aid by bringing me on.
0: Mm, like, they, you, don't want to just be, so you don't want to just be like a certification, like certified intersectional environmentalist because they've taken you on. You want it to, there to be accountability in there as well.
1: Oh yeah. Like we, we, I'm going to hold them accountable, especially if they would like to join. We're still workshopping it, but we want it to be something similar to, you know, being a B corporation. And we're trying Mm. to understand how to do that and take it to the next level by really, really incorporating intersectionality, um, as well as environmental principles and, We're trying to figure out how to do that and the best way to hold people accountable. And yeah, there's definitely going to be at least one meeting per year if they do sign up to be a partner of the organization we're creating, because it's not just a band-aid. And they need to be very transparent with us about their data. And that also includes their employee demographics, if that's something that they can share and how that improves over the years.
2: Another thing that's been really standing out to me and not sitting right with me is whether it's companies or individuals or whomever, everyone seems to be in this frenzied rush to, mm-hmm. like Leah's saying, slap a Band-Aid on this issue. Mm-hmm. Everybody's trying to get their two cents in. Everyone's trying to um, show and prove and perform right now. You know, companies are trying to schedule things right now. Mm -hmm. Everyone who's like reached out to me about projects, they have this extreme sense of urgency, like, and we need it to happen in the next few days. We need it to happen in the next week. Mm. And it, it plants the seed of doubt in my mind of like, are they really striving for long lasting change? If it seems like something that needs to happen right now, like right this second, um, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a full firm believer in um, the importance of urgency when it comes to racial issues, because lack of urgency is the reason that nothing has improved for so long. However, I don't want that urgency to be this feigned attempt at an entire fix when really we need long lasting change, you know? So like, let's talk about recurring things you'll be doing. Let's talk about how you're going to continue to be an ally. Even when it comes to individuals, let's talk about what you're going to do beyond this week, beyond this conversation, beyond this moment that we're in, because anyone can join in while there's all this hype and energy and momentum, but that's not going to help the black community in the long run. That is, That's not going to help us in any way. That's not going to help me in a month or in a year when I'm in these social situations and still no one's speaking up for me. That's not going to help me Mm. when I'm pursuing a career and the whole corporate world is still like turned against me. That's not going to help me when I'm seeking out medical care and unconscious bias is still hurting me in so many different ways. So Mm. I really want to see how people take this energy and turn it into a long-term effort and long-term reform so that way the black community actually benefits from it rather than the white community just trying to wipe the white guilt off their hands ASAP.
0: Yeah yeah like I've been asked to do um a load of speaking events and at the moment I'm just taking on no jobs for like the next few weeks because I've got a degree to finish um (laughs) but (laughs) a lot of them I've been some of them that I've said to them I've been like okay well then like can we speak about this in a month from now or a couple months from now and the ones that are like oh we're not sure if we're still going to want to do it in a month from now I'm like okay so you don't actually care about Mm anti-racism at all you care about a trend because if you think anti-racism is no longer going to be relevant or trendy in a month from now, then you, you're not doing the work.
1: Mm-hmm. Like you
0: want a quick fix. And that's one thing that worries me about, um, a lot of, I don't know if this is how, you, how you've like thought about sometimes with like viral um, posts that are going around and like, like a lot of like how to's and stuff. I worry for some people that they read those posts and they're like ticked off. I'm done. <laughs> like yep. I've done yeah. the work. Cause like I've had friends who I'll send them like, um, an Instagram post, and they'll read it. But then I'm like, okay, well then buy Leila Sard's "Me and White Supremacy." It's a twenty, it's a twenty-eight day course, which, which twenty-eight days is not long. And some of them are mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm not sure if I can commit to twenty-eight days of doing anti-racism work. And I'm like, honey, I have been doing twenty-two years. <laughs> like, <come on." laughs> Oh gosh.
1: Another thing, just because since we're all here, um, <laughs> is when people comment on my post or send me a DM and they go, don't you mean eco-feminism? And I just want to be like, no, 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 no. I said (laughs) what I said because I do have an environmental science and policy degree with, you know, I shouldn't Mm -hmm. even have to talk about qualifications. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if I went to college and studied this. I chose those words as a black woman very intentionally because I felt like Maybe in principle, ecofeminism is super awesome, you know, but I feel like I would have had to slap intersectional ecofeminism on there. Mm. And I just didn't know if that's what I wanted. It didn't really sit right with me. So I wanted to use the terminology intersectional environmentalism. But I've had a lot of people just get really upset that I'm not using the word ecofeminism. And I just want to say, like, I said what I said, and I meant what I said when I said it. Because in many Mm. ways, I don't, and I like ecofeminism for the most part. I think it's super awesome and there's some awesome people who helped create it. But in many ways, it feels like it's extracting bits and pieces from Hinduism and Buddhism and indigenous wisdom. And it's taking it and kind of merging it all together in a way that feels a little appropriative for me personally. Mm. And then those people from those communities are not necessarily brought to the forefront. So that's mm-hmm. just why I didn't use that terminology, but I know there are some awesome ecofeminists, But that is something that's been really frustrating for me to have people say, like, what about this? And then I've had a lot of white women in particular reach out and say, hey, I love your post, but I think you should add, you know, women. You know, Mm -hmm. you should add women to Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And it makes me want to shake my head. And there was one person that I responded to, other people I just delete. And I told her Mm -hmm. how, in the most compassionate but direct way as possible, how this is something that is burdening black woman, because it Mm. seems like she had to be included in it. And that's why she said it, but she didn't realize that she was speaking to a black woman. And that's Mm. the whole intersectionality component and why sometimes I don't always feel safe in mainstream feminist circles that aren't intersectional because to say, what about women? And not to realize that there are black and indigenous and POC women that are included in that list. Mm. That's concerning me a lot.
2: Absolutely. And that makes me think of another thing, Um, like all three of us, and I don't want to speak to how you um, present yourself, but I see a lot of similarities between the three of us. And one thing that I always feel like I have to put an emphasis on is kindness and being palatable and being likable. And I think that's something that's been ingrained in me my whole life as an attempt to avoid being silenced by the angry black woman narrative. But so many of the white people who take a liking to my content, they say, love what you have to say. And thanks so much for doing it kindly. Mm -hmm. Love what you have to say. Mm -hmm. Thanks for doing it in a friendly way. Other people aren't as friendly about it. And I want them to understand that like my rage is valid, even when it's not friendly, you know, my, my feelings are valid. Even when I don't like pack it into this little succinct, easy for you to understand box. Um, so I feel, I feel upset that my whole life I've been drawn to friendliness and um, being so, so likable to white people, and I'm upset that that seems to be such a factor in my success and such a factor in whether or not mm-hmm. people want to listen to what I have to say about oppression. I mean, conversations about oppression should not be reliant on their friendliness or likability. That is white supremacy at mm. work. So I know mm. Michaela's spoken about that too, how she's felt um, felt like that same pressure. So yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's just something I think about often.
0: Yeah, like I worry um, a lot that either I'm not harsh enough or I'm too harsh or I'm not radical yeah. enough <laughs> or I'm too radical. And mm-hmm. in all of that, I feel, especially when people – it makes me feel very icky when people message me and they're like, Oh, like I'm just so glad you said this in such a kind way or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, if you if you're saying this because you don't like how another black woman speaks, then like if you don't stand for all black women, then you stand for no black women. And like I don't want to mm-hmm. be weaponized. Um like I don't want my like quote unquote kindness, which I think in many ways is my internalised like me internalizing white supremacy and right. not wanting to like come across in so many ways. Like I don't want I don't want to be complimented on that and I don't want that to be weaponized against other people and it just makes me feel very uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it is definitely a defense mechanism because I mean, I'm also a communications professional. So that's what I've like spent my corporate career life doing, writing and communicating. And in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm a communications person because of my Black experience and white spaces Mm. and always trying to find the right way to reach different people. And usually try to reach them about complex topics like climate change that might be a big macro issue that some people don't really... I mean, some of the science stuff can be hard to grasp. So I wanted to go into communication so I could better explain that to people in a way that felt more approachable. And I feel like I'm mm-hmm. always having to put that hat on, especially when I'm talking to white audiences. And like you said, it is a defense mechanism of, okay... I know how these very same people reacted to someone else in the organization and they deem them as being too angry, even though that angry, that anger was so valid, but I feel like I'm minimizing myself in some ways and playing this game Mm -hmm. to get people to listen to me. And sometimes that does make me feel really icky. And I'm wondering, am I pretending? Is this what I should be doing? Am I silencing Mm -hmm. myself a little bit? But Mm -hmm. I know as a communications person, okay, if I package it this way, Mm -hmm. if I package Mm -hmm. it as intersectionality, that sounds very fun. And it sounds very like Mm -hmm. modern, then that might be something that more people can grasp. And that Mm -hmm. happened. So I don't know how to feel about that, but it does give me a lot of feels
2: yeah and like it's sort of like you're playing this game of like how can I get people to listen it's almost a how can I sell this idea how can I sell people on the idea of um, getting involved in all these movements that will make them uncomfortable and that will mean that they have to sacrifice things and that will mean that they have to recognize their own errors And that will mean that they have to change a lot of things in their lives. Like, that's a horrible sell. Who would want to buy that? Um, So (laughs) you're kind of like playing this, like towing this line between I want people to take an interest because that's the only way that I will make any difference. You know, it's completely reliant on people on the other end of this screen, these strangers being receptive of what I have to say, you know, I don't like how that's, that's out of my hands, but also my message reaching people doesn't matter if it's not an important message, you know? Um, so Mm. it's always this balance and I never want to lose myself in that. I never want to lose my core, my core beliefs and what I'm trying to convey, but also I want to reach the masses and on a lot of things, it feels almost like you have to sacrifice yourself a little bit and you have to sacrifice Mm -hmm. your authentic anger and emotion in order to get people to hear what you have to say. So yeah, it is an icky feeling. It's so yikes. How yikes is that? Oh my gosh. Yes, very yikes. (laughs) Finally, saying the
0: podcast branding into the episode. That is so
2: on brand for
0: us. (laughs) But it is so much of this stuff is a big, freaking massive yikes. And like sometimes yikes. I have to like laugh off like how serious it is by just because I'm, I think sometimes with a lot of this stuff, especially like, I don't know about how you both feel, but being a black woman and like having to navigate a lot of these different things. Um, I do find like Audrey and I talk about this sometimes, like how like laughing with things can just kind of, it's like a way of us resisting it overcoming us. But mm-hmm. I don't know if that, if you can either you can relate to that.
1: Yeah, I feel like black joy is such a radical act in many ways to be able Mm -hmm. to find
0: joy in these
1: moments of just terrible trauma. I think it just shows how resilient we are and how resilient our community is. So, yeah I'm gonna laugh because I deserve to mm-hmm. and my ancestors have fought for me to get to this point point. and now mm-hmm. that I'm I mean I'm still fighting but I also want to experience joy and I feel like that in many ways is such a radical act just to be able to laugh mm-hmm. and find happiness and not let you know white supremacy take away our joy and our laughter and our smiles so I'm gonna laugh you know <laughs> I'm gonna laugh and I'm gonna find joy
0: Everyone enjoyed that episode um it was just such a lovely wholesome wonderful conversation um and such a like a lovely time to just chat with two women who I respect loads um so Leah and Marie if you want to plug yourselves um plug away Leah do you want to go first
1: yeah hey I'm Leah you can give me a follow at green girl Leah on Instagram and also follow intersectional environmentalists to stay updated.
2: And you can find me at Waste Free Marie on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Patreon now. So feel free to go there for resources and guides um, for people who want to learn about privilege, anti racism, systemic racism,
0: all sorts of things. So check me out. And I've been Michaela Loach, as always. <laughs> and um, I would recommend if anyone's interested in intersectionality, um, checking out the work of Kimberly Crenshaw so she's the person who coined the term intersectional um, and there's a great uh, like live that she did with Haymarket Books which is available on YouTube um, which was done during corona times so if people are interested in looking into that more go and check that out and um, thank you so much for listening and I hope everyone has a really lovely day